The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So I'm about 26, 27 years old. I'm teaching fitness classes. I'm a personal trainer. I am incorporated. I have my own business. I even have business insurance. But at this stage, most of what I was doing was related to fitness. So I was doing personal training. I was teaching fitness classes. And I was teaching fitness professionals how to teach fitness classes. I had a bunch of different workshops. So I had a kickboxing workshop that eventually ended up being turbo kick. But I was also teaching this workshop called Totally Tubular. In that workout, I would teach people how to use exercise bands to do just about everything you can possibly imagine. I mean, by the way, fitness bands, exercise tubing, whatever you want to call it, that stuff is so effective. It is so good. However, it's dangerous, y'all. It's crazy dangerous. So when I would teach these workshops, I talked a lot about safety and precautions and how to check the bands before you you know, do any exercise where you're pulling those rubber bands towards your face. I'm sure we've all seen the videos where one of those bands has snapped and given somebody a nice, healthy welt. Well, I had been teaching these workshops called Totally Tubular, and a woman who had attended one of my workshops taught at a local gym in Southern California, and she was teaching an exercise class where they were using the exercise bands. Well, while she was teaching this class, she had the bands wrapped around people's feet. So you sat on the floor, imagine this, you wrap the bands under your feet, and then you pull both the handles on both the right and left side. It's, again, anchored by the soles of your shoes. And you pull the band towards your face like a seated row. Are you picturing this? Well, in this woman's class, someone's band broke. And when it snapped, it ripped the cornea off of one of her participants' eye, leaving her blind in that eye. Thankfully, that fitness instructor was actually an employee of the facility where she was teaching. That facility had legal liability insurance and they had set themselves up as a legal entity so that no one could be sued individually. But there was a lawsuit and the damages were substantial. This young woman lost her vision. Yes, it was an accident, but she lost her vision in a class using a simple $12 piece of equipment. Named in that lawsuit was the facility where she was teaching the instructor, and the manufacturer of the band. I was fortunate enough not to have been named as a defendant in this case, but I was called to testify in this case. And the first thing I had to disclose was whether or not I was an individual or an LLC, what type of corporation I was, if I had liability insurance. And had they found me to be negligent, I too could have been named as a defendant. I was not. I was deposed. And luckily, I had kept exceptional records of everything that I taught in my workshops. And I remember just being so grateful for the fact that I had detailed notes and instructions and everything that I taught. And a big part of my workshop was regarding safety. And, you know, I was really lucky. But had I been named as a defendant, it still wouldn't have impacted me personally. Like it probably would have cost money. I would have had to hire an attorney, et cetera, to represent me. But had 
I been named as a defendant, eventually this case settled and that would have gone into my business insurance, et cetera. But if I didn't have, it wasn't a legal entity and I had been sued and the case had gone to court and I had been found negligent or I had been found at fault and the jury had awarded this giant settlement against the defendants, I could have been held personally responsible. I mean, we could have lost our house. It scares me to think about what could have happened. But I am so grateful to have experienced that at such a young age in my business experience because from that experience forward, we've never been without business insurance, liability insurance, and we have always invested in the right legal counsel to make sure that our business entities were set up to protect us and to save us money. And today, my goal is to make certain that you do the same. And that's exactly what we're doing here today on Build Your Tribe. But it's not just me. I've invited our personal legal counsel, our business attorney, Eric Woodbury. Eric is the attorney who we referred our kids to when they were setting up their LLCs, many of our friends and family members and business associates. And that is because Eric is really good at what he does. I love working with Eric because he speaks English, if that makes sense. And he's a nice guy. Listen, no offense to the attorneys out there. I think you're awesome. I am always telling people, do not skimp when it comes to legal representation. Like this is a really important investment to make in your business. Don't think of it as a business expense. This is a business investment. I kid you not. Eric has been an attorney for more than 25 plus years, I believe. He's a seasoned litigator and he's a business attorney. Like there's a difference between hiring you know, a family practice attorney versus a business attorney. His experience is very diverse. It also includes estate and trust disputes, but business and also real estate law, just really complex legal litigation, products and premise liability. And that's important because as an entrepreneur, that's what you've got to protect yourself from is liability. It can happen. And I don't want to scare you guys because the show is intended to get you over your fear and to just get you to start to start long before you feel like you're prepared to start. But there's a side of me that also wants to warn you how important it is to have proper representation, number one, and that you set yourself up for protected success. I mean, you are a person, but when you're doing business, you want to separate the business from you as the individual. I mean, let's face it, we live in a very litigious, happy society. People don't need just cause to sue you. Someone can sue you for the dumbest reason on the planet, a reason that's not even justified. But if somebody sues you, dude, you're going to court. I mean, you have to defend yourself. You can't just go, that's frivolous, that's dumb, and walk away. If somebody decides to sue you, you've got to have representation. And it might go to court or you might have to settle. Either way, you want to make sure that you're protected. And the best way to do that is by setting yourself up as a professional entity. We're going to answer all of your questions about how to do that today. I've also put some important links in our show notes. So if you want to work with my personal attorney, Eric, you can find his contact information below. He does operate here out of Southern California. So as you'll hear in this episode, he's not necessarily somebody you want to hire if you're in, let's say, the state of Texas and you just need legal advice. But if you're trying to set up your corporation so that you are a legitimate entity, business entity. Eric is the man. You can find his link below. It's heritagelawllp, as in Paul, dot com. Eric is admitted to practice in California, Florida, and Georgia. But again, if you're just setting up your LLC, 
that you can reach out to him below. But we also talk about online services like LegalZoom, etc. All right, let's talk to Eric. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today here on Build Your Tribe. The audience has submitted some of the most common questions they have. And as you know, like I feel like today everybody is excited about creating online income and creating a side hustle. Our kids are doing it. Our moms and dads are doing it. Like It's never been easier, frankly, because the internet and social media to create a side hustle. But a lot of people are also afraid to do that because of putting themselves in a position of liability. So my first question to you is, you know, for that person who's like, yeah, I'm dabbling. I'm starting a little side hustle. Maybe I've sold a few things on Etsy. Maybe I've just put my business card out there as a expert and I've taken a few calls, but I don't really know if I'm a business yet. And I'm taking maybe money via PayPal or Venmo or Cash App or whatever. Do I really need to be an entity? That's a good question. And we hear that a lot. The answer to that, I think, is no. I mean, you want to be smart as you build your business, but I think it's oftentimes people put the cart before the horse and legal often is the cart before the horse. You know, by the time you want to set up an entity, I think you should be more well-established or at least have some better idea that you're going to have revenue coming in in a more substantial way. Okay. So then I remember the first time I went in business for myself. Of course, I was taking all my legal advice from my father, who is not an attorney (laughs) and not qualified to give legal advice. And by the way, we should start with a disclaimer that says, this is not legal advice. What we're doing here today is for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) Agreed. My dad told me, you need to go get a DBA. And so that was like the first thing that I did. I'm not sure how old I was, but I went down to the bank and I filed a DBA. Can you explain to our audience before we talk about how it could help or how it might offer some level of protection. What is a DBA? Sure. DBA is, it stands for doing business as, right? It's like an alias. And essentially you can register a DBA in any county, city, or state in which you do business, but it's really using your name or the name of your business as another name. So you often hear DBAs associated with individuals, but also you may have a company that also does business as another name. People most often use them for brand purposes, right? If you're building a brand. So I could be Shalene Johnson, DBA, in-home personal training. Correct. So that's a good example. Or you might have a business that may be Shalene Johnson, Inc. that does business as something else too. Is filing a DBA a less expensive option? Is that kind of like an on-ramp or first step for someone who's like really not sure if they need to be incorporated? I think it's a good idea. It's certainly a first step. It's much cheaper than hiring lawyers and setting up entities. It's a significant difference, though, because a DBA really is just another name for you, right? So it doesn't give you any protection. It doesn't afford me any protection. So if I'm doing personal training, my business is called Body by Shalene, and I am Shalene Johnson, DBA, Body by Shalene. Really, all that is is kind of giving myself a more professional image, but I'm not, if somebody, you know, breaks a finger because I've dropped a 50-pound dumbbell on it and they try to sue me, I'm not afforded any protection. That's correct. Yeah, it's great for, you know, again, for branding, it looks good on business cards. But if you were to get sued as a DBA, you're getting sued. So then anything Mm. Shaleen Johnson has is up for, you know, up for challenge, up for claims and judgments. Good to know. What does it mean when someone says that they're incorporated? 
there's a lot of different ways. And, and people, I think, utilize the name incorporated interchangeably, right? It's one of those words that has a general meaning. But incorporated typically means you have a corporation. But there's lots of different business entities, corporation being one of them. Within corporation, you've got C corporations, S corporations, you've got LLCs, partnerships. There's a lot of different ways that you could create an entity for your business. But typically incorporated means you've set up a corporation. Okay. And I think this is one of those areas where people get really caught up and they start worrying about all these little details that they need to figure them out before they actually go into business. And I love that we started this off by saying like, just start for the love, just start. We can figure this stuff as we go. And you don't, you, meaning our listener, doesn't need to be the person who figures out what type of corporation to file. Generally speaking, the conversation you would need to have is probably with someone like yourself. Am I right? Yeah, I think socially. And, you know, the, the truth is, I think for many of us, and I'm a business owner too, keep that in mind, you know, it's, you get caught up in trying to prepare so much, you forget you actually have, you got to do your thing, right? And so most people, I think when they're starting out, and we deal with a lot of incorporations and LLCs at our firm, you know, most people, I tell them, start what you want to do, then decide what that looks like. It may succeed. It may fail. You may find you start in one direction and it changes in a major different direction that would have been a mistake to set up in one way to start. So take your time. You don't need to make a decision urgently. You got some time to figure it out. So can you tell us, generally speaking, what is the difference between a C-Corp, an S-Corp, and an LLC? And those are great questions too, because people often come to me and ask, I want to be a C corporation. Well, the truth is you probably don't, right? Coca-Cola Inc. is a C corporation. You don't need to be Coca-Cola. A C corporation, the easiest way to look at it is a corporation, a C corporation in particular is taxed a couple different times in a couple different ways. And I'll just disclaim, I'm not a tax guy. But for most of us setting up small businesses, a C corporation is not something you need unless you plan to have multiple employees, If you want to have all the paperwork that goes along with that, there's a lot more requirements with a C corporation. It's generally not something that it would be a small business. An S corporation might be an option. And an S corporation is simply a corporation that allows what they call pass-through taxation, which means the corporation doesn't get taxed on its income. The income passes through to the owners who then get taxed on their own income. And that's one of the benefits really why people most often settle with LLCs, because an LLC is the most flexible requires the least amount of paperwork, but also has the the better tax benefits compared to corporations typically. I guess I'm still unclear why someone might choose then an S-corp. Yeah, sometimes people prefer it. Some types of businesses lend themselves better to an S-corp. What's an example of one that might be more ideally set up as an S-corp? Yeah, in some cases, I've had clients who, if they're in a manufacturing industry, sometimes they're going to have products and and employees they know they're going to have at the outset. Sometimes that can be a determining factor in terms of setting up a corporation. You may have, for example, if you're a one or two shareholders, like a husband and wife team that are going to have a company, but you know you're going to have employees, setting up a corporation sometimes is the better move than an LLC. And you might want to do that as an S corporation for the tax benefits. And again, I can't pretend to be a tax guy, but very seldom in in my experience is an S corporation preferred to an LLC for most people. It doesn't really apply. And I think the reason being is an LLC, regardless of what you're hoping to achieve in your business, gives you more flexibility. Sometimes you can't. Like I'll give you an example. I'm an attorney. 
And I have a law firm, which is a limited liability partnership. And I have a company, which is a professional corporation. There are certain restrictions that provide that as an attorney, I can't have an LLC. I have a professional degree. It requires that I have a different kind of corporate entity. So an LLC wouldn't be an option for me. In certain other professions, medical, and, and there's a list of others I won't bore you with. But for the most part, most people starting businesses, an LLC is the best choice. It sounds to me like this is a joint conversation between my attorney and <laughs> my accountant. Well, for sure. I think that's the most often the questions I get are tax related. And again, I, I don't know taxes, but that's one of the major benefits of an LLC or any corporate entity. There's really two. One is insulation from personal liability, right? That you protect yourself. The second thing is tax ramifications. And, and the LLC affords, I think, from what I understand from my accountant, the most flexible tax scheme that you can employ to save yourself some money along the way. But again, it's not right for everybody. And to our earlier point, you don't need to start right out of the gate. If you're making $10,000 a year, it may not be necessary to set up an LLC because it costs money to do it and it may not be worth the money you save in taxes. If you have more revenues, that may be a real good move for you tax-wise and otherwise. When it comes to setting up my business long-term, like I think it's really important. The one thing I've learned having you know, created and, and sold several businesses, I've learned that I think it's wise to work with wise counsel such as yourself so that from the get-go, I'm setting things up so that if it really explodes or if I'm just done with it and I want to sell it, I've set it up so that it's a little easier to do so. With that in mind, what are some of the things that somebody needs to think about if they want to set up a business with the intent to someday sell it? That's a great question. And I'll use you as an example, right? Because you have a lot of things moving at one time. And I think it depends on the individual. But let's say, for example, your goal is to have multiple streams of income in different areas, and you see yourself doing a lot of different things. What I always suggest is it's not a bad idea to consider putting each of those things in a separate LLC. For example, if you're going to have merchandise, maybe you have a merchandise LLC. If you have services, you have services in a separate LLC. And you may set up a parent corporation to be the owner of all those things. But let's say down the road, somebody comes to you and says, gee, Shelly, I love your merchandise. I'd love to buy that from you. Well, you can sell the merchandise LLC without having to disband the rest of your corporate holdings, right? You can do it piecemeal. So it depends on what your goals are. But I think if you're going to diversify, single purpose LLCs are a good way to go because it gives you flexibility to sell part, but not all of your business ventures. That's a good way to go. So let's just come up with a hypothetical husband and wife, and she is in network marketing. She's earning a nice income from her network marketing business. And in addition to that, she's got an Etsy business where she's hand making items and her husband is reselling giant items that he finds on Facebook marketplace. So are these three separate LLCs perhaps? They could be, you know, and I I wasn't taking notes. I got to commit that to memory. But yeah, (laughs) generally what you could do in that scenario, you know, maybe the suggestion would be if these are established revenue generating uh, businesses, you do husband and wife corporation as the owner of the Etsy LLC, the resale LLC, and the network marketing LLC. And that way, you know, you've got these different companies, each of which has its own corporate entity in existence and has its own stream of income, but it's owned by this unified husband and wife corporation. How dangerous is it for me or any recommendations for that person who's like, okay, cool. You know, I'm just starting out and I've come up with this fictitious name for my business and I'm using it. Yes. 
Should I do that first or should I look to see if that name is available before I start using it? Or do you recommend that I incorporate before I start using a business name? That's a good question too. I I think it's useful if you're going to use a fictitious name that's not your own, it's worth taking a look first before you establish it. I can give you the example. My daughter has a swimsuit company and she originally had a name for that company that she thought was great and she was pushing forward on it. And then she said, dad, I want to set up a company. I said, well, if you look to see if that name is being used and she thought she had discovered this magical, never before discovered name. Well, guess what? It was everywhere. (laughs) And so this name that she had sort of in, in her mind, she couldn't then use. So I think it's a good idea, even if you don't want to incorporate or set up an LLC yet and you like a name, take a look around and see what's available. Because when it comes time to set up an LLC or a corporation and you have a conflicting name, you're not going to be able to use that name for a lot of reasons. A, they won't let you register it, but you know it also falls into some various trademark and trade name issues that may fall in later. And I want to save those who are listening. I would like to make sure that people know that there are certain things you just need to spend the money. Like you get what you pay for. And, you know, like this isn't just because I like you, Eric, but we really have always been big fans of like when it comes to your legal representation, you get what you pay for. Like make sure you use the best and, you know, don't say, oh, I've got a neighbor who's, you know, nephew just graduated from law school. He can do it for you. Like, eh, maybe not. (laughs) <laughs> Having said that, I like to save the audience money, right? Yeah, I do too. And- I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so what are some of the things you would say to that person right now who's like, I've got some ideas for a business name. Where do I start to even figure out if, in fact, someone else is using this other than like just Googling, right? Sure. One, one of the ways you can start, like, and I'll give you California as an example. And most states have the same thing because in most states throughout the country, when you register a corporation or an LLC, you do it through the Secretary of State's website. That's how you do it. And so if you were to go into California's Secretary of State website, you could do an entity search and you could just search by any name. If I were to search up like Shalene Johnson, for example, which I assume would only show up in relation to your businesses. But let's say I did that, every single entity with those names in it would pop up and I'd have a chance to say, okay, well, is my business name similar? Is it confusing? Do I maybe want to rethink this? So that's an easy way to start. Because Google may not necessarily have those pop up. So that's a great place to begin. But I, you know, the Secretary of State website is a good resource if you're thinking about setting up a business. That's awesome. Talk to me about the name game, right? I think like as your daughter's example, so often we think, oh, I've got this great name. And then it's like, you know, that house you fall in love with and you make an offer sure. and you don't get the house. <laughs> I think it's pretty dangerous to like, fall in love, and we've made this mistake, fall in love with the business name before actually looking to see how it's being used, where it's being used. And it is certainly more than just, for example, if there's a name that sounds very similar, but is maybe spelled differently, you still might not be able to use that name, right? Yeah. It becomes a bit of a challenge at some points when you're picking very popular names. I mean, because you're right, you can spell it somewhat differently, but it sounds the same. You may be fine, you may not be. And candidly, it all comes down to at the end of the day, what your competition looks like, right? If, mm. if I were to create a company today called Coca-Cola, that'd be a problem, right? I'm picking a very well-known name. Coca-Cola might come after me for that. Now, if it's a smaller business that's similar, maybe they wouldn't. And this leads into some further questions I don't want to get into yet about copyright and trademark that you may want to bring up. But, but the fact is you should do your homework sooner than later because I've had this happen before and not just with my daughter, but with clients. And, and when they come to me, I always have them give me a few names. I always say, Give me your first choice, but give me mm. some backups because mm. there's a good chance you're not the first person to have thought of a name or some variation of a name. And let's assume that you aren't, but let's go with what you want. 
it's an avoidable problem. I'll say this, you know, these mm-hmm. kinds of, if you think first and then move, you're okay. If you move first and then try to backdoor think it, sometimes you get yourself into trouble. And that's where I think you find yourself in potential lawsuits or in copyright claims or infringement claims because you haven't taken those two seconds to give it some thought before you made the decision. Fanciful names. I would assume when we say fanciful names, like a, a name like Google, right? Yeah. Or Venmo. These aren't words that say what the business is. My first California business was called, you ready for this? It's super duper yeah. catchy, in-home personal training, which is like a horrible name because there was no way we were going to be able to incorporate it. Like we could never trademark it. And it was a great description of what it was, but it was the dumbest name for a business. Instagram is its own beast. It is so huge. It's like five platforms in one. How do we take a platform that changes almost every week and help people? The answer is we need to create a membership site. And that's exactly what we did. We created a club, a membership portal, a place for people like you who want to know just specifically about Instagram. Maybe you showed up on the platform a little after everybody else did and you feel so behind the eight ball. Or maybe you love Instagram, it's your jam, but you just don't have the time to read the case studies and to constantly be figuring out how the algorithm is changing. Like you literally need someone to do all of that research for you. You need a place where you can log in, you can type your query and a Tutorial that has been filmed within the last couple of weeks pops up that teaches you exactly how to do it. Brock and I will be going live inside the Insta Club Hub. This is a membership site that is going to blow your mind if you're trying to reach more people, the right kind of people, like real, live, targeted followers, the kind of people who want to do business with you. And you want to do that on Instagram. You want to take advantage of the Instagram algorithm. Insta Club Hub is for you and you're going to be blown away. To learn more, go to instaclubhub.com. That's instaclubhub.com. And of course, there's a clickable link in our show notes to make it really simple for you. Any suggestions for those people who are like, I own a dry cleaning business, so I want to call it Johnson's Dry Cleaning. Like, what are some of the things where it's like, you're going to have an easier time using this name. Is it just fanciful names? Well, I'll tell you what, Shalene, you know, I, I've listened to and heard enough of your podcasts and shows, you know, in my house, they're on all the time. So I, I listen, I pay attention, you know, as you're building your brand or the people listening are building their brands, I think oftentimes you suggest you are your brand, right? So your name is your brand. And for most of us, we are building ourselves as our brand, regardless of our industry, right? And so using your own name is a smart way to start in some way, shape or form. Awesome. A lot of people get scared about it. In fact, it's funny. I had a call this morning, mm. actually with a mutual friend, who I won't name right here, but who was concerned about using his name in connection with the business as though that might somehow expose liability. Well, guess what? It doesn't. You can, ah. you know, your name doesn't give the liability. The lack of an entity exposes you to liability. So I think using your name, and I always encourage my clients, unless there's some real reason they don't want to do it, like if they've branded it some other way and want to maintain that brand, Using your own name in connection with your business is always a good way to start. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of celebrities using like combination of their kids' names. Names are like combinations sure. of names. And I don't know if you ever heard the Kate Spade story. I know. I've, I've heard parts of it. I just remember listening to this podcast where 
you know, she's since passed, I think she committed suicide. That's true. But I remember listening to this podcast where she talked about how, you know, Kate Spade is her name. And yeah. that was the brand. And that was, you know, obviously they were incorporated. And when they sold the business, she literally sold a business that was named after her, which yeah. meant she could never do anything again with her name, which also meant that once that company started, you know, she sold the company and they were moving in a direction that maybe wasn't consistent with what she loved, et cetera. It was this really confusing, uncomfortable thing for her. And I just say that because I think personally, if I were to create a business that I was going to sell, or any possibility I could sell it, I don't think I would use my first and last name, but I might use like some variation like you just said, or a combination of names or like maybe first name and middle name or some variation. It doesn't have to be your exact name. Is that what I'm hearing? No, and you're totally right there. And I think, and I hate to use Kate Spade as an example because it's a tragic story, but if your concern is at the end of the day that you've made billions of dollars and you can't use your name anymore, those are problems that I suppose most of us wouldn't mind having at some point or another, right? Right, yeah. You go, okay, uh, I've sold it. That was a very good brand. But to your point, you can also negotiate that. And I've seen that negotiated where you're selling uh-huh. a company and you're retaining certain intellectual property and naming rights. Like that's all part of a negotiation. So for example, I mean, Kate Spade's a tough one because that brand was so visible and so big as a name. But I've seen other situations that we just negotiated a partnership buyout where the selling partner actually sold the name to the buying partner, but it was a negotiated term. They, they had created a brand and a name and they decided who was going to hold on to that intellectual property. So that's uh-huh. only something down the road you can do. But to your point, look, if you're thinking you're going to be the next thing since sliced bread, you want this brand to be big, you want to sell it, you're ready to rock and roll, then yes, maybe you don't want to use your first and last name because you're right. Because if you sell it in your Kate Spade, you'll never be able to market yourself really as Kate Spade ever again. All right. So what are we looking at in terms of cost? Obviously, the price of an attorney varies based on what state you're in and how experienced your legal counsel is. But generally speaking, a rough estimate? Yeah, that's a good question. And this leads back into kind of why we generally recommend that people try it out first before they come to us, unless they know for sure they're ready to go, right? Or they Mm -hmm. have, they've got investment, they got funding and so forth. Because unfortunately, lawyers, you know, as necessary as we can be at times, we're not cheap. Like I'd hate to have to hire a lawyer and I am one. right? So (laughs) (laughs) I get it. It's a tough one. So generally speaking, like at our firm, what we do is we do a flat fee. If you're going to set up for an LLC and it's more kind of robust than that, it's not just a matter of filing, but there's a couple of forms that need to be filed. And that's state by state. Every state's a little bit different, but in California, there's a couple. Every state will charge you for the luxury of registering an LLC within their state. And in most states, they charge you anywhere from 150 to a couple hundred, 250, just for the filing fees. Mm -hmm. And then you want to get your tax ID number. You want to get your other paperwork done. And generally speaking, if it's an LLC, you want to have what's called an operating agreement, which is sort of the the foundational document that just sort of controls how the LLC is to be run. Mm -hmm. And those typically are the things you need before you can actually start your business, go to the bank, open bank accounts and things like that. And it varies. And I'll tell you candidly, I think you can probably do it on LegalZoom for maybe seven, 800 bucks, maybe more these days. I don't necessarily monitor that. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's the worst thing in the world. Like I say, I'm a lawyer. I, my wife might make fun of me. I'm probably the worst businessman because I'm always telling people, try to find this first. You might save <laughs> some money. But when it comes to doing this, and like you said, doing it the right way, I think it is important to at least talk to an, an attorney before you decide to go to whether it's Rocket Lawyer or LegalZoom. Mm-hmm. We, for example, we'll do it 
for like a flat fee of about $1,200. And that includes everything soup to nuts. So it's not for everybody, right? Like if your business is one that's going to make a couple thousand dollars in the next year, the prospect of spending $1,200 or so on an attorney is daunting, right? Well, maybe, but I also think about how daunting it is for me anyways, like even with our kids, right? Like, so our kids each have their own LLC and they have to pay Mm -hmm. for that with their own money. You know, for both of them, I'm just like, this is not your forte. Like you're going to spend so much time trying to figure this out on legal zoom. You have no one to ask questions of, you know, there's just FAQs. So spend the money with Eric and do it the right way because it's also, I don't know, there's something about legitimacy of saying like, let me call my attorney. Right. You know, like, <laughs> let me email my attorney. Like, there's That's something right. about that that is very. I know both of them felt like, like adults it's, when they it's did. It's empowering. That. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. You're right. Everybody wants to say they want to call their lawyer, but it's you make a great point. And I'll say this too. It's important, I think, for those of us who are entrepreneurial and who want to go make things happen. I think one of the more important things we can do is know what we don't know, right? Yes. And acknowledge what we don't know. Like, we had a plumbing issue at our house yesterday. Guess what? I didn't try to fix it. I called a plumber, you know, like you got to know your lane and, and you be ambitious, but you understand, as I said, that's why, you know, I would recommend at least talk to an attorney. If you talk to an attorney and you feel like you can do it on your own. Okay. But there's some things that are worthwhile being done the right way, especially yeah. when it's your business, especially when you're getting started, especially when you're putting your heart and soul into it, you know, create the foundation that is sound and build from that. Because if you don't set it up right to begin with, and you start building then you're going to have a lot of problems. You know, you're going to find yourself down the road without the infrastructure that you need or want to be successful. Do I need a business license to operate? You know, especially for those people who are maybe only operating in like one state or one city, sure. et cetera. I mean, like a lot of our listeners are conducting business online. It's almost all sure. digital. And so tell us who does need a business license? Yeah, you know, that's a great question too. And it varies state by state, but also industry by industry. There's a lot of things that don't require licensure, right? You don't need licenses to do, quite frankly, most of what people do probably doesn't. You know, if you are buying and reselling products, sometimes you might need like a reseller's license. If you're doing some retail, there might be some retail licensure that you're... How do I know if, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I forget what the word is, but like I'm going to the thrift shops, I'm looking for deals and then I'm reselling it online and I'm making a pretty nice little income. Sure. Do I need a reseller's license? Best resource for that, again, because it, it varies city by city, state by state, is to go either, I would always start, I always encourage clients, start with the city in which you're going to be operating. Let's say you're in Irvine and you want to just check, do I need a license to operate this in Irvine? Go to the Irvine city website and check for license requirements or business license. And most often, they're going to give you a list of things that require a license. You have to do a little legwork. Unfortunately, there's no one size fits all or easy answer. Yeah. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. With most people doing things online, you know, keep in mind that a lot of these business ideas that people are pursuing now are novel. And so there's not really a history or track record where there's a license for that. I actually met with a client today who's doing something that's really new and it's like, do I need a license? And I'm like, well, you know, nobody does what you do. So there's no license for it. But it's worth starting with your city to take a look. If not, take a look at the state. But for the most part, I think people worry about licenses. But unless you're operating usually like a brick and mortar storefront retail, you don't require a license for the most part. Good to know. Very good to know. And I know you're not an accountant. <laughs> no. <laughs> not an accountant, so this isn't tax advice. But what are some of the advantages of actually becoming a business entity versus you know, doing this stuff under the table and, or not actually 
thinking of yourself as a business entity versus an individual? I think for most people, and again, thank you for qualifying that I'm not a CPA, but I work with them and, and obviously I deal with my own and, and I deal with clients in conjunction with their accountants on various legal issues. You know, I think people underestimate the amount of money they actually spend on their businesses. And I think when you start to realize how much you're really spending in conjunction with your business and realize, oh my gosh, that's technically a business expense. I can write that off. There's an awareness first and foremost that comes, but it's a real benefit because when you're doing your deductions as an individual based on your income, whatever it may be, you know, you get some benefit from that. You get some portion of it. There's all these math calculations that, you know, again, a CPA would know better that you get some reduced amount of deduction. But when you have a business, like if you've got Shalene Johnson LLC and Shalene Johnson LLC makes $100,000 one year, but you can go back and you look at, you have $100,000 in verifiable expenses. Well, guess what? Shalene Johnson LLC didn't make any money last year for tax purposes. It's like a dollar for dollar deduction. It can really be useful. And you know the CPAs I've talked to and worked with, all of them are recommending to their clients who are in business to get into an LLC mm. for that reason. And that's where, quite frankly, a lot of our business, this is part of our business, but a lot of our referrals come from CPAs who are just encouraging their clients who have small businesses, sole proprietorships, people doing you know DBAs. They're saying, look, take advantage of the tax benefit, go get an LLC. They're not even concerned about the liability side. Yeah. You know, that's not their lane, but they're more worried. Hey, look, I got these write-offs. So there's a real benefit there. And I think, you know, when, when you start doing it, and I'll say this from personal experience, when I started running my own business and I took a look at what I was spending, I was shocked at how much I was legitimately spending for my business or that was related to my mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think most of probably most of your listeners who are out doing this, their hustle, whether it's a side hustle or their main thing. It's probably all their time, energy, and talent going into that, and they don't even realize it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think that just speaks to our earlier point that you are going to save yourself time, money, headaches, frustration, and potential liability if you work in conjunction with both an attorney and a great CPA. 100%. And and you know, because you've been this way in your businesses, I think you just can't undervalue preparation. You got to think, you know, you start right. You don't just jump into something and not thinking about the consequences and go, oh, it'll be fine. I mean, maybe it will be, but why would you risk what you don't have to risk? When you could kind of, you can take some of those baby steps, do it right, and then, you know, go forth and conquer. But the risks, I think, and again, unfortunately, I do a lot of litigation. Mm. So I see the fallout when things aren't done well, or even when they are done well, but fall apart. Hmm. And I got to tell you, it gets nasty down that road. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned how important it is to stay in your lane. I know that as entrepreneurs, man, we love to be scrappy. We love to figure things out. I can figure this out. I can get, you know, a tax program and I can take care of my own accounting and bookkeeping, et cetera, and I'll save myself time or I'll save myself money. You won't save yourself time. And I have just, this is big sister advice here. You're not going to save yourself money either. Like hire a great bookkeeper and or a great CPA or both. And they're going to work in conjunction with your attorney. And then you've got like the ultimate foundation. It is worth every penny to have that peace of mind to be able to sleep at night and just know like, I don't have to worry about the tax laws. I don't have to worry about where things go and how I'm protected because I'm paying somebody to do that for me. 100%. And you're right. It's so hard. I think oftentimes when people are starting their own projects and they're passionate about them to delegate that to somebody else, because you feel I could do it 
It's my baby. I can do it better. When it comes to things like tax and legal and just making sure that your foundation is strong, you know, you've got to be prepared, I think, to step back a bit and make those decisions that set you up for success in the future. And again, you won't regret it. It's like, it's hard sometimes, I think, and I had these conversations a lot. I, I, and I never try to talk people into it. I'm not, you know, talking them into to hiring us, but I say, you know, if you're going to do it, do it well. Yeah. If you're going to invest in yourself, invest in yourself, you know, don't do it piecemeal and hope it's going to all work out. It's not the place to cut corners. No. It really isn't. I mean, I can't tell you how many really well-known individuals who people are listening to right now, you know their names because they've signed these great big, huge deals, but they didn't have proper legal representation. So today they're broke or today they've got fame, but they ain't got a bank account because they didn't hire proper right. legal representation. They use somebody who is an attorney, but didn't specialize in that, or they you know try to get a bargain by having somebody's friend do it. And they end up paying the price. They do. You're totally right. We've had, you know, I'll give you an example again, without naming names, we represented a big social media person who was very, very successful in a lawsuit. And this lawsuit was multi, multi-million dollars at stake. And the contracts that were underlying that deal, you know, might as well have been written by my nine-year-old. I mean, it was, they didn't spend any time or energy putting the deals together properly. And it resulted in a lawsuit that cost everybody. And it, not just money, but I think you'll appreciate this time. You know, I think, especially when you're an entrepreneur and your business is your business, you're not in the business of litigation. You're not in the business of being in court. Like that's my business, you know, and I still, even though it's my business, I try to keep people out of it because it's miserable. It takes all of your time. So if you could avoid that, you'd be doing yourself a favor that you would never, ever regret. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of, you know, protecting ourselves and liability, I think a lot of people in the audience also wonder about business insurance and maybe even liability insurance. Are those things you recommend and at what stage? Sure. And yeah, look, insurance is always a great thing to have. Back to your point from a minute ago, peace of mind, right? Yeah. And I think it's important. And again, I'm not an insurance broker or an expert in that field either, but a lot of what we do ends up involving insurance, right? When you see these claims and I've seen very good established companies, by the way, have insurance but not the right kind. You know, like if you're a manufacturing business, for example, and you manufacture a product, but you want to have product insurance, you want to have product liability insurance, you want to have insurance that covers potential defects in manufacturing, right? So it's not just having insurance, but it's having the right kind. Now, again, not necessarily right out of the gate. If you're just starting this thing and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try out a couple of sales, you're probably not going to have to worry about insurance. But if you, for example, if you're making products and you're starting to generate some momentum, it's worth looking into. And it's probably less expensive than you think it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's scary to think about insurance, but you should have it. If you're a trainer, for example, you know, let's just say you're a personal trainer. Well, you gave, gave an example earlier. What if somebody drops a weight on their toe? Well, they might be a friend, but guess what? Everyone's a friend until they decide to sue Oh my you, gosh. Right? So, Tweet that one out. And it's so true. I can't tell you how many lawsuits I've seen where they're like, I never thought anybody, well, you're right. They wouldn't until that one person does. And so if you're giving advice, if you have a service you're providing, if you're selling products, those are all things that can lead to claims, right? You didn't tell me the right way to do it. You didn't instruct me. I got hurt. Your product didn't work. I got hurt from your product. So those are all things that you have to think about. And back to what we talked about at the outset, if you're not a an LLC or somehow incorporated, those liabilities are yours. They come at you, you know? So if it's Shalene Johnson doing business as personal trainer at home or in-home personal training, 
when they sue you, they sue Shalene Johnson. And that means all of your assets, all of your things that you own personally, homes, cars, you know, those things are all subject to judgments. So insurance is a great way to protect against that, even if you're on your own. You can get insurance as a sole proprietor, but the better way to do it is set up an entity and then get insurance for the entity. It's a double protection and smart to do. And it's far less expensive than what people realize. I'll put a link in the show notes to our insurance dude. (laughs) I'll just give you an example, like not to belabor it, but like litigation. I mean, people oftentimes watch like shows like LA Law. They may be great. I mean, that's I'm dating myself now. I don't think LA Law has been on TV for 30 years. But but you watch these programs and these programs are great because in the lawsuit on the show, it starts and ends within 30 minutes to an hour. It wraps up in a tight bow and it's done. And most people, I think, assume lawsuits work that way. But when you get sued, it doesn't work that way. Lawsuits can drag on for two, three years. Lawsuits can cost several hundred thousand dollars or more, Mm -hmm. depending upon the issue. They could be millions. So even a small suit, when you think about if I'm a small business, if somebody sues me, I can't control it. I have to defend myself. I've got a client right now, for example. It's a frivolous suit. He's named as a defendant. He can't control it. He has to go through it. We're going to trial next month. You know, when we've been streamlining it, but it's still going to be a fifty to seventy-five thousand dollar expense. Even if he wins, he's not going to get that money back. That's right. And it could have been covered if he had insurance. And he didn't. It's an example of, unfortunately, a bad decision mm-hmm. at the outset. Mm-hmm. But litigation is expensive. It's time consuming. So when you balance that against you know, setting yourself up properly and getting insurance, I'd rather spend a few grand at the outset than 300000 in two years of my life down the road. So much more affordable. Yeah, and it's, it's super fun to hang out with me in a lawsuit, but I'd rather have <laughs> phone conversations that involve something else, right? That's awesome. Well, speaking of which, you know, every state is a little different. Do you offer services to people who are outside of the state of California? That's a yes and no. So we've helped people set up entities in different states. Like I'm licensed in California, Georgia, and Florida. So I could do technically be a lawyer in any of those states if you needed it. But generally speaking, we don't provide legal services in those states. Okay. So if you came to me, for example, and said, listen, I want to set up a different business, or like Brock, for example, wanted to set up a company in Washington. We can handle that, the establishment of the LLC or the corporation. But to the extent you wanted a lawyer to advise you on legal issues for your business, the business operations in that state, you'd need to hire counsel in that state. Okay. But just to clarify then, are you saying that if it were just like, for example, the package you talked about that you guys charge for setting up an LLC, you could do that for someone in any state? Correct. Oh, that's awesome. We do. Yeah, correct. We do that for clients in all different states because again, that's not... Getting the forms registered, it's more of a uh, procedural kind of thing than a legal advice kind of thing. So these are technical terms I'm giving you, you know, but we're happy to help anybody anywhere get them set up. That's awesome. Well, Eric, thank you. This has been super duper helpful. I really do appreciate all of the insight and advice. And, you know, you've done a great service today for improving the reputation of attorneys. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I know. I, no I, lawyer I, jokes today. More time than you wanted to spend with a lawyer, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk and, and answer some questions. Last question. Yep. I have so many friends who either went to law school. It just feels like attorneys, I'm sorry, entrepreneurs, like 50% of them were like, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Or they're like, I was a lawyer and then I decided I wanted to be a business owner. Why do you think that is? Well, it's, it's a great question. And, and my wife, we, we joke about it. I've been a lawyer for 24 years. I've been trying not to be a lawyer for about 23 of those years. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's kind of what I do. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, like most businesses that people get into. And I think one of the reasons people are now so driven to do their own thing is, you know, we grow up thinking that our profession is a certain way, whether it's from TV, movies, or who knows. True. And I think for me personally growing up, you know, being a lawyer seemed like a pretty cool thing, right? You get to go to court and put on a show for a jury and you get to, you know, have this aha moment that everyone yeah. takes holds their breath. Right. And you think that's going to be the case. And it's unfortunately not quite as cracked up to be. It's a trials are still fun, but you come to learn that trials happen far less frequently. Most cases settle. The getting to trial is a little bit annoying and can be very tedious. But I think for most lawyers that I've talked to, they get into it kind of thinking it's one way. Very early on, they realize it's not quite as advertised. <laughs> they want to go a different direction. And everybody has their own experience. I know lawyers who love being lawyers. Yeah. I know some people who are just, they're so in love with it that I can't even talk to them about it anymore. That's awesome. Um, but I think it's a good you know, foundational education. And I think it, a lot of the things you learn in law school help you approach problems in a way that maybe you could apply to different industries and maybe be a little happier. And I can't complain because like, I've been fortunate to be pretty content in my career at this point. But again, I think every lawyer who is a lawyer kind of wishes he or she were something else. You know? <laughs> That's fun. That's honest. Well, Eric, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate you and we'll have to have you back. Thanks, Lena. I appreciate it. You have a good day. All right. We'll talk to you soon. And everybody who's looking, please make sure to check our show notes. That's where you can get in contact with Eric and his firm to help those of you who are navigating this process as a new entrepreneur, making yourself official. Eric, thanks again. All right. Thanks, Lena. Go get it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.